This episode is dedicated to the memory of Erica Weber. Her dedication, kindness, and commitment to patients and friends was instrumental to the creation of the Recovery Center. Hi, Eric. Hi, Kate. We have two great guests today from the Recovery Center, Eric Harum and Dr. Christine Monroe, and I am so excited to get started with the interview. Yeah, I think this is going to be a great discussion. It's so um, robust that we're going to do this in two segments. It's actually going to be two different podcasts. We'll do a part one and a part two because there's so much ground to cover. That is great. Hi, I'm Kate Ford. And I'm Eric Fogg. Welcome to C-Town. In each episode, we will discuss all things York Hospital, past, present, and future, as well as current medical topics to help us navigate that sometimes confusing world of healthcare. So before we get into that, let's do a couple hospital updates. Uh, it's first of the year. Do you have a New Year's resolution? It's that time of year. Yes, but I can't share. No? <laughs> uh, it's secret. It's secret. So <laughs> I think fitness is a common New Year resolution for folks, right? It, it's joining a gym. It's it's something related to nutrition, that sort of thing. And I think the big fitness gifts this year were the Peloton bike. Are you yes. following this trend? I am, actually. What, what did you think I of did. the controversy related to that commercial? Yeah, I um, didn't see it quite that way. Yeah. Yeah. But it really went crazy. It did go crazy. And the stock of Peloton went down like within 48 yeah. hours. It was really great. Um, the other thing is uh, we had Dr. Thibodeau on one of our recent podcasts and talked about the flu season. And since that podcast, we've actually are experiencing widespread flu here in the state of Maine, like many other states in the country. Uh, we're seeing uh, large numbers coming through our emergency department, our walk-ins, our primary care offices as well. Uh, as a matter of fact, the state of Maine has implemented a uh, visitor restriction at hospitals. So um, if you want to come see a loved one in the hospital, you have to be older than 12 years of age. Um, you have to be free of any symptoms of flu-like things. So getting, getting a little bit interesting here as flu season marches on. Not quite here at York Hospital, though. Correct. Right. Correct. Okay. But uh, good. certainly something that may be coming down the pike. We uh, actually had a patient uh, last week at one of the walk-ins who tested positive for both A and B, which um, uh, the little unit that was telling me the results read it as an error, uh, but I was questioning whether they were actually co-infected with uh, flu A and flu B, so okay. uh, it was a really interesting case. Um, CDC is starting to release some information about how well we matched this year with the flu vaccination, so um, uh, the final data isn't out yet, but what we're seeing is certainly a lot of people who have received a flu shot are actually getting the flu. The question is, are their symptoms uh, a little bit less severe than if they had not received the flu right. vaccine? So. Um, but uh, getting back to the fitness thing, recently York Hospital just um, posted the York Hospital 5K registration online. Mm -hmm. I know it's January, but... Uh, Do you run in that, uh, Eric? So for 10 years straight, I ran in it. Uh, it was a family event. Me and my wife and daughter would run in, and uh, I have not run the last two years, so maybe it's time to uh, uh, knock the dust off. I think the last time I ran in it, ran walk, I should say, um, go walkers... Um, was when my kids were in Mr. Johnston's class okay. out of uh, Coastal Ridge Elementary. He gets the whole class together in any, um, I think that's third grade, oh gosh, um, and gets all the 
kids out. So I ran with both my kids when so, they had Mr. Johnson. So is it time again for you to get the walking I shoes think, on? I think it is. Yeah, yeah for sure. So it's going to be June the 6th. Uh, if you're time. If you're interested in information, you can register online at yourcostable.com. So check that out. Uh, so those are the updates for this week's episode. Let's uh, Let's get into the interview here. Very excited to interview Dr. Monroe and Eric Harum. Today we have um, Eric Harum and Dr. Christine Monroe from the Recovery Center as our guests. Uh, the two complement each other very well, um, so it should be a good interview. Um, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So Eric is the Consulting Director of the Co Recovery Center, providing consulting services to York Hospital since 2016. Um, Eric started the first medication-assisted treatment program in Maine, and we look forward to hearing more about his work in a few minutes. Um, you'll re hear us referring to um, MAT quite a bit. Um, so do you guys want to start? So we'll get into that, but medication-assisted treatment, but also medication for addiction treatment, right? So it could be either AKA, I guess. Um, Dr. Christine Monroe is the medical director of the MAT um, program at the center. She's a med-ped physician practicing internal medicine and pediatrics at Great Works Family Practice in South Berwick. So welcome to both of you. Thank you. So we wanted to start by um, talking about how the recovery center came about. So we, we know it used to be the cottage program. So how did it evolve into the recovery center? Well, um, York Hospital has a, a, a long history of providing uh, treatment for substance use disorders. Uh, in fact, uh, had a uh, substance use disorder treatment department called the cottage program uh, that in 2016 was 25 years old. Um, and given the epidemic we were experiencing here in Maine and across uh, New England as well as the nation, uh, the institution really took on, um, in a very big way, um, uh, revitalizing that program, which has now become the Recovery Center under its new branded name. Um, and, and within that evolution, what we wanted to do was really uh, keep the strengths of the, the history and the local nature of the cottage program uh, and build upon that by adding professionals such as Dr. Monroe and our nurse Sue Spinney um, to beef up medical services uh, as well as make improvements for patient access. Um, and why don't I turn that to you and you can maybe expand on that a little bit. Um, well, I, I think we need to, to say that um, in 2016, we um, part of becoming the, you know, the transition from the cottage program into the recovery center, um, we brought Eric on board, um, largely with the help of Dr. Jill George, who unfortunately is not at York Hospital anymore, but um, we'll have to put a shout out to her. Sure. Um, and I think that in the last, going on two and a half years now, um, we've really um, expanded the services and, and increased access, and um, I think we're making a name for ourselves in the area. It certainly sounds like it. You mentioned the epidemic both both regionally and nationally. Can you give kind of our listeners a idea of the scope of this problem? Like, 
in terms of numbers, in terms of, of uh, you know, how big this problem is? Give, give some scale to it. Um, it it's, it's an evolving uh, data set, so I will do my best to sure. with the most recent point in time. Right there, yeah. um, but if you uh, consider uh, last year uh, and the year before in the state of Maine with, with just uh, under or at about a million people in the state, we experienced a death a day, mm-hmm. an overdose a day um, from opiate uh, misuse and use. Yeah. Um, uh, and so to scale that, you know, th- nearly 400 overdose deaths during this time. Um, and uh, a lot of mythology out there in our society about uh, who has problems with substance use disorders uh, and uh the judgments that necessarily come with that, that make seeking help even more difficult. Um, That's really one of the things that's special about York Hospital is that this institution really made the decision. uh, These are uh, the people that live in our community. These are our patients. And we want to make the state of the science available for uh, the people that live here. I loved when you said... um that you go into Hannaford, you know, and that's so local here. Um, and those are the people we're serving, right? So, Right, really all walks of life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we all uh, unfortunately have a visual when we think about opiate addiction on, you know, maybe who that person is, what they might look like. And the more accurate representation would be to go to a a public place in your region, like a Hannaford grocery store, and look around, and the people you see are the people we see, mm-hmm. right? All walks of life, economics, backgrounds, education, and uh, this really has uh, is an illness that um, can affect anyone. And the the um, demographic of um, young adults, so fifteen to twenty five, who are struggling. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, In the state of Maine, uh, as the opiate uh, epidemic has unfolded, um, 18 to 26-year-olds were really the fastest growing demographic. In fact, 18 to 26-year-old women um, were the the fastest growing demographic seeking help for opiate use disorder. When we think about 18 to 25-year-olds, to just get a sense nationally of what that looks like for prevalence, uh, roughly 15%, or 5.1 million people in 2017 between the ages of 18 and 25 sought help for a substance use disorder. Uh, that's um, one in seven 18 to 25 year olds, or 15% of that national demographic. Uh, and that hopefully gives us a little bit of a scale in terms of how prevalent are problems with substance use, uh, particularly for young adults. So, really, um, anyone. Someone knows whether they're involved with substance use or somebody in their family or a friend. Everyone is touched by it. Right? Almost everybody. I think yeah. we're definitely seeing that. I mean, if yeah. you go into a, any room and ask, you know, who who has been affected in some way by substance use disorder, it's going to be hard to find a hand that doesn't go up. We have, yeah. you know, parents, children, um, nieces, nephews, grandparents taking care of their children. Um, you know, and as stark as that statistic is, it, that when we first started this, I, I was really anticipating my, my first few patients that I was going to see would be in that demographic. The first few patients we saw were over 60 years old. Okay. And we continue to see a, a variety of ages. So really it is hard to find, I think, people who aren't affected or in some way. 
That's a great segue. You mentioned Dr. Jill George, who was the original medical director, and you gave respect and praise. You've done a fantastic job taking over in that role. I'm just curious, what was you? How did you get interested in this type of work? What was that kind of uh, spark that said, "I want to jump in and fill these shoes"? Yeah, well, I'm a I'm a primary care physician, and and those are my patients, right? That's this is what we've been talking about. It's hard to find somebody who's not affected by it. So. It was, you know, hard to find a day when I didn't have a grandparent, a sister, a brother, or a patient who I hadn't seen in a few years who came back and said that they had been affected by this in some way, had maybe been in rehab or had been struggling. Um, and it was really difficult to know what to do at that point. We would have to sort of reinvent the wheel every time, making phone calls to different places. And we thought, we have an existing structure here. It would be really nice to build that up and be able to offer patients something and offer our providers here a place to send their patients. So that we can all keep it in within the system. Yeah, certainly working in the emergency room and in the walk-ins, we're on the front line of some of this as well. And you and I have chatted a few times, or my my colleagues have, have reached out to you. You've been a great resource as well. It's uh, I do feel like um, uh, it's uh, as Eric touched on. It is. Uh, uh, irrespective of socioeconomic status and whatnot, you can't predict who that patient will be that will be affected by this. And um, uh, some certainly some amazing challenges, but I feel as somebody who works in the community, having this as a resource has been has been fantastic. So, talk a little bit about how patients get to your program. Mm -hmm. Sure, well, I, I'll start, and you can right. end up. Uh, so, there's the you know traditional. You go into your doctor's office and, and have a conversation and a referral can be made right that day. Make a phone call and we can get you in. You could call the number yourself, which is 351-2118. And we have been trying very hard to get people in within 24 to 48 hours so that um, they know that there's somebody right here for them. The emergency room, um, we have increased services in the emergency room. The ability to have um, same-day induction. Um, to get on medication um, same day in the emergency room and then hand it off to us has, um, has been working working out really well for the last few months. Walk-in clinics. Yeah. Um, so a variety of different things. Anyone else? Um, I think you covered it. I mean, the, the things that we've done tactically to uh, improve access mm -hmm. and sustain it, mm -hmm. it have involved multi-departments across the hospital, right, partnering with the emergency department for rapid inductions, as Dr. Monroe said, um, uh, working with uh, med surge around early identification uh, opportunities to help people with their recovery from uh, medical conditions that they may find themselves inpatient for, um, large stigma reduction campaigns hospital-wide. Um, uh, including just a philosophy of care at the recovery center that uh, one, uh, substance use disorders are what we call a window of opportunity illness. When someone says, will you help me? That's the perfect opportunity to say yes. We know how to do that, come right in today. Uh, and so we try to do same day or next day uh, initial appointments. We try to get people um, in their first face-to-face -face, uh, appointment with our medical staff and Dr. Monroe as quickly as possible and appropriate. Uh, and we never run a waiting list. So um, when we have uh, uh, outstripped our capacity, um, we have a business model where we can demonstrate the need for increased capacity. Um, and that allows us to stay uh, available to people in that kind of real time. And you, were you... Oh. 
Well, I was going to say to that, you mentioned window of opportunity, you mentioned timing. What does the research tell us as to why that's important? Mm -hmm. What happens if there's a delay in getting somebody treatment? Do we lose them type of thing? Is that the concern? Yeah, statistically, what we've learned uh, is that within substance use treatment, when someone calls and asks for help, um, their show rate at that first scheduled appointment is a big predictor. Uh, of the direction to come. Uh, and what we've learned is that if we can get somebody in that initial appointment within 48 hours of their request for help, uh, we can roughly see 85% uh, of those patients in that first appointment. When we get outside of 48 hours, the no-show rates really go through the roof. And that's because people's motivation changes minute by minute, not day by day or week by week. When you were transitioning into this recovery center, you talked about improved access. Um, did you also have to, have to increase staff and counselors in that? And maybe talk a little bit about that. We did. We increased the um, counselors. We added a nurse, and we added myself um, mm -hmm. to that mm -hmm. um, so that we can do that. We've increased the number of groups that we hold. So we have an intensive outpatient program that is that runs three nights a week. Um, at the point of the transition, we had that outpatient um, group and uh, a step-down or a phase two program that ran um, alongside when you completed IOP. We've since added a second one of those and three other groups. Um, Can you define IOP? So intensive outpatient program. Okay. It's a um, several hours a, a, at a time, three days a week, and one of those days includes a family night. Um, for people to bring a family member or a close um, support person with them. Um, from there, uh, a step down at aftercare or phase two, as you um, would program to build on life skills and help people get back into the community. The, the, the purpose of an intensive outpatient program is to, um, uh, based on medical necessity, um, and uh, is the opportunity to evaluate um, and help stabilize an individual in the early phases of their treatment. Um, and then moving into outpatient services, which would typically be a group or an individual session once a week or twice a month. Um, that's really for people that are in the maintenance phase of care with their recovery from a substance use disorder. Um, and that's where people practice the skills that they learned in their initial treatment experience um, and continue to grow strength and a community of support. Yeah, so we could talk a little bit about that, the community outreach that has been done. I know you've had um, the uh, Recovery Alley, the recovery uh, coaching and um, collaboration with a number of different um, community groups, roundtables, and that. So we can talk a little bit about that as well. I'm glad you brought up yeah. the recovery coach because we forgot to mention that we mm. had expanded and included a recovery coach. So um, we, and I think, are we still one of the only programs in the area that has a recovery coach embedded in our system? If um, not, we were one of the first. Right, yeah. we certainly were one of the first, and mm -hmm. it is a growing um, uh, service line in the field. So we hope to see lots more. And these of are volunteers or people giving of their time. Um, right. These, right. These are individuals in long-term recovery from a substance use disorder themselves. And uh, they have a very important role of um, hope, 
um, being a, an example of success uh, and opportunity uh, during a time when people are really struggling and um, not feeling their very best, having someone to speak with who is on the other side of that can be extremely helpful. Great. Okay. So that's an excellent uh, time to take a pause here so. and wrap up uh, this first session. We want to thank Dr. Christine Monroe, who has to uh, take off and probably see some patients if I know her. Um, so thank you for your time. We really appreciate it. We're going to pick up part two at our next podcast. Uh, we're going to keep Eric around for a bit and continue the conversation. So thank you very much. Thank you both. Thank you for listening to this episode of C-Town. We hope you found it of interest and would love to hear from you about topics you'd like to learn more about. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find episodes by clicking C-Town button on the homepage of yourhospital.com. By listening to this podcast, you're agreeing not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Consult your own provider for any medical issues that you may be having. C-Town is a production of Darcy Creative in a collaboration with York Hospital. Copyright 2020.